With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here. It's Ryan Kennedy here. It's Ken Campbell here. It's Stephen Ellis kind of here lurking in the background. And fellas, we're at that part of the season where it's kind of the dog days of winter. We're kind of at the mid-season mark. There would be an all-star break around now. The news cycle, you know, we're not at the trade deadline yet. It's a little quiet. So to me, it's the best time possible to do a mid-season all-mailbag edition and I want to give a shout out to you listeners, readers, you did a really good job sending us some very interesting questions this week so we're going to do it. All-mailbag, all the time. We're going to dive right in. The first question comes from someone with a pretty cool pun for a name, Ranton and Raven. I didn't realize the pun until I said it. So question one for you guys, Ranton and Raven says, which team or teams do you think are in the worst position to lose an important piece to Seattle Kenneth Campbell, we'll start with you. Well, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, you look at a team like the Winnipeg Jets, right? If they go seven, three, and one, that's what it is, right? Seven, three, and one. Well, you know, I mean, Wheeler's the only guy with a no-move no clause, and you've got Shifley, Connor, Ehlers, Dubois, uh, Roslovic, and then maybe a guy like, uh, I, don't, I don't know, and Andrew Kopp, I guess. You know, you let Perot go to free agency. You let Lowry go to unrestricted free agency so you don't have to protect them. So you, you might lose one of them in free agency. You know, but then you're still looking at a guy like, uh, you know, a Mason Appleton or, it's, you know, someone who's really – and he's really having a good season this year. So um, – but to me, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, like, to me, this whole expansion draft thing, if they didn't learn from the last time around – then shame on them. Like seriously, shame on them. Like lose your player and move on. You know, the Toronto Maple Leafs didn't do anything in the last expansion draft. I think they lost Brendan Leipzig and that was it. And they moved on. Right. Like, I, I just think that if I were a GM, I would not be messing around with this stuff. I would be like, who are we? Go- who do we stand to lose? Let's pick one guy that we're going to lose. Let's lose them and move on. Yeah, and for me, I'm looking at the St. Louis Blues as a team that will obviously have to be cautious. You know, they 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 have to go 7-3-1. You know, they can't just do the eight skaters uh, because they have so many really good forwards uh, that they're going to want to hang on to. But because of that, you look at their blue line and, you know, uh, assuming, you know, I mean, Vince Dunn is, an, uh, is a pending RFA, uh, so they'll have to re-sign him, and uh, I would assume that would mean he he still has to be uh, protected, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just because they haven't re-signed him yet, and he's an RFA. Uh, so you have Justin Falk, you have Tori Krug, you have Colton Pareko, uh, and then you have Dunn. You also have Marco Scandella. So I mean, that's five guys right there. You can only protect three of them. Um, so it's, it's gonna, there's gonna be some tough decisions and, you know, Scandella is the most obvious out of that crew. Um, cause I know they do like Justin Falk. 
Uh, you know, I'm sure they love all their players, but uh, it's it's going to be a tough decision. And I think, you know, I agree with Ken. You, you, you kind of have to say to yourself, well, fingers crossed that they go another direction and they, they pick someone that we're, we're okay with losing. But I, I don't think you give up assets to, to prevent anything there. Mm-hmm. Good, good picks. I have a different team as well. It's fun that we didn't pick the same teams. Uh, I've got Carolina and, you know, you know, we're going to see Jacob Slavin protected. We're going to see Brett Pesci protected. I'm thinking we're going to see Jake Bean protected because he's actually eligible to be claimed as well. And then if Dougie Hamilton, if you're factoring him into the lineup, that would be four and four. But the thing is, you know, with Dougie Hamilton, so let's say you want to sign him to his extension early, then you're going to have to protect him. And that's going to leave a couple important forwards like Vincent Trocek and even Peter Ryder will post. If you're going to go seven, three, one, then you're playing a risky game because basically you're going to be making a handshake agreement with Dougie Hamilton that he's going to sign his contract after the expansion draft, which he's allowed to do. But if he does that, then he's also eligible to be approached early by Seattle, which gets an early negotiation window. I know that the rules have changed overall league wide about the negotiation window, but my understanding is Seattle still gets the right to come in early, no matter what, and talk to free agents. So Dougie Hamilton is going to be so sought after you're playing a dangerous game by letting him drift closer to going to market. And, you know, you can rely on that handshake agreement, but overall, I just think that Carolina's situation because of that is a little bit complicated. Uh, Next question is from Joel 21. Joel wants to know, do you think Ryan Getzlaff would go to the UFA market this offseason? And what is a reasonable contract? I want to see Getzlaff in a Canucks jersey. Uh, would three years, 10 million or two years, 7 million be enough to get him? Ryan. I see Getzlaff as a lifelong duck. I think that he already has a Stanley Cup ring. Yes, it was from quite a while ago, uh, but he does have his championship. So it's not like his career needs something before it's completed you know he has a chance to do something that not a lot of players have these days and that's retire after playing for one franchise and he'll go down as one of the most important players in that franchise's history like you know it's it's kind of a short list but you know it's like Scott Niedermeyer, Paul Correa, uh, Chris Pronger, you know Tamu Solane and Ryan Getzlaff is in that mix in terms of importance you know, the Ducks are rebuilding right now, but the kids are looking really good. And, you know, I could see him just kind of hanging on, um, you know, maybe taking some short-term deals uh, in, in, you know, until he wants to retire. And, you know, his role gets smaller as Trevor Zegras and, and other players uh, sort of rise. But I think it could be a fun role for him where, where he doesn't have to be the man, uh, but he can be that grizzled vet that doles out the great advice. I know talking to Jamie Drysdale the other day, you know, just before uh, puck drop for Jamie Drysdale's first game, Getzlaff came over and gave him a couple of, uh, you know, kind words, just said, let's go kid, let's do this thing. Um, so I think he's in a good spot right now. And I, I would, I mean, if I were him, I wouldn't mess with it. Yeah. I mean, if I, I would tend to agree with you, Ryan, and, but, but if Ryan Getzlaff is going to move, to another team and another market and leave the Anaheim Ducks. It, it, it's not going to be for what whoever this reader was suggested. I mean, they're three years, two years at 7 million, that's three and a half million a year. That's a massive pay cut from what he's taking now. Uh, so I don't, I, I do not see that, that happening, not on those terms anyways. Um, you know, I, I see him as being a Joe Thornton kind of guy. He'll take a series of one year deals uh, you know, and presumably he'll play it out with the Anaheim Ducks, go into a management role, 
heck, he might even be the GM of the team someday. Like, you know, I could, I could see, I could definitely see that happening. He's a pretty sharp guy. He's really well-spoken and polished and he's funny and he's, and you know, he's insightful. And like, I mean, I've talked to him a lot of times. He's very insightful. Um, you know, so I can see him just going on a series of one year deals at $5 million every year for the next three years or however long he wants to play. Um, you know, and then, and then sort of just taking a, a real sort of, um, you know, a very active and important management management role with this team when the, when everything's said and done, like I see him being like a Rob Blake, Joe Sackick type of guy mm-hmm. who transitions from player to, to, you know, to, uh, to a guy in management and, and it'll probably be pretty easy and seamless for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Joe Thornton. I even wrote down Joe Thornton zone for Ryan Getzoff. I think he's 35 now. And I remember talking to him when he was like 32 and he was saying he felt like his body, you know, he'd feel it in the morning when he wake up. So he feels like his body's aging. He's a big guy. I don't know how long he's going to play. But to me, it's like he he almost has an ideal window if he wants to try the contender thing while his value is pretty high, while he's still got some good hockey left. He could always wait movement clause this year go play for a contender, take a swing at a cup. You don't have to leave your family very long. You're just being a rental. And then you come back and then you can re-sign with the Ducks and do one-year deal. It's interesting because, you know, there's an assumption that Getzlaff wants to be a Duck, but do we know for sure that Bob Murray is cool? That that's kind of an interesting thing. We know that he was willing to walk away from Corey Perry. And that sent, I think, a, a strong message that he's willing to move on from the past. And I think Getzlaff, maybe he's a bit more entrenched in the organization as the captain, but I think it was still telling that, you know, I don't think we're going to see Getzlaff coming back on a multi-year deal. I think with no term, if it's a one-year deal of $5 million, maybe he could come back. And that way the Ducks still have flexibility. Because to me, they're a team that's been a bit bogged down by some bad contracts and they're trying to get out of that now. So you're not going to sign Getzlaff for multi, multi-year pact and kind of be back in that situation again. You know, they had to buy out Corey Perry because of the situation they're in, right? But I do agree with you guys. I think Getzlaff will still be a duck next year. One-year deal. But if I'm him, maybe take one more swing at it. Wave your no movement this year. Take a little, a little shot at glory one more time. I don't know. Uh, next question from Tom Collins. Not sure if that, that's his real name or if he just likes the drink. Either way, Tom wants to know. Will division be able to play all playoff games, including the semifinals and Stanley Cup final in Canada? That assumes the North Division team making it to the Cup final. What say you, Mr. Ken Campbell? Well, I, I, I don't think this is up to anybody but the Canadian government. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually quite concerned that that the Edmonton Montreal game was canceled, was postponed yesterday because of guys being on the COVID list. If I, I stand to be corrected here, but if I'm not mistaken, those are the first two guys on Canadian teams that have been in that situation. And that's the, I believe these are the first Canadian games that have been postponed because of, because of COVID. Um, That's not a good sign. I don't think, I I really don't think that's a good sign to me. That's a sign that, you know, I mean, I know in Ontario, I'm not sure about the other provinces, but I know in Ontario, all the tabling is that there's going to be another wave. There's more variants. They're talking about thousands of, uh, you know, I think on Sunday, there were 1800 cases in Ontario. That was the highest since February 1st. They're talking about going back up to over 3000 cases a day, you know, in the next couple of weeks. So we're not out of this yet. And I know the NHL wants to, you know, see if they can, you know, reduce the quarantine period. I certainly hope they don't get their way. Um, You know, we didn't like, I didn't sit in my house for a year 
you know, to, to have, to, to have to worry about other outbreaks, you know, even more. I think, I think the, the Canadian government's going to stay the course here. And I would not be the least bit surprised if whoever it is, whether it's the Winnipeg Jets, the Edmonton Oilers, the Toronto Maple Leafs, whoever it is that comes out of this division is going to have to decamp in a, in a border city somewhere, somewhere close to where they, where they play Toronto, I guess it would obviously be Buffalo or Detroit, um, you know, Winnipeg would be, you know, Minnesota maybe or something, but I, I don't, uh, I don't doubt for a minute that, uh, that, that, that that's probably going to have to happen. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the, the sort of convenient thing about Buffalo or Detroit is we know they're not going to be in the playoffs. <laughs> uh, whereas Minnesota, they might say, well, we're, we're kind of using our rink right now. Um, but I, I, and I wonder if the NHL simply says, okay, whoever wins the North, you know, uh, whether it's Toronto or Winnipeg or, or, or Edmonton, you're, you're going to Buffalo and that's going to be your home base. I mean, Buffalo is uniquely set up where you have, you know, the practice rink right next to the real rink. There's a hotel on top of the practice rink. You know, you can form a pretty good isolated bubble right down, you know, right downtown in that rink district, uh, you know, that Harbor Center area. Uh, it, it's kind of tailor-made for something like this, particularly if it's only going to be one team uh, that has to, to play out of it. So that to me would be sort of the easiest solution for this right now, be, because we don't know, you know what the future will bring. We don't know how fast vaccinations are going to go in Canada. It seems to be going along pretty swimmingly in the US, uh, but we have, a lot of, we have a long way to go here. So that would, to me, would be sort of the the easiest path right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. You, there's been a precedent set by the Canadian government. They've been pretty strict. You know, the Raptors and Blue Jays are still not playing in Canada yet. So I, I don't think we're going to see that exemption lifted. It hasn't been lifted for the trades. So, you know, if you're traded across the border, you're still quarantined for 14 days. So as it stands now, you're going to have to wait for 14 days, you know, between rounds for the North Division team to play its next opponent, unless you move cities. Uh, and I don't think there's going to be an exception, exception made, exemption made. So I, I think we are going to see Buffalo. From what I understand, that's the city that's been uh, mentioned the most as the destination. So I will predict that we'll see Buffalo. And it, it's interesting. Um, Oh, I lost my train of thought. I forget what I was going to say. <laughs> it was something about it was something about the 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 North and the Buffalo. Okay, Ken, raise your hand. Your, your hand is raised, so you my answer, and I'll raised. try and remember. What I, I I'm just say. actually, this just occurred to me. I'm wondering if it wouldn't be a good idea for the NHL to go for the conference final and the Stanley Cup final to the two-three-two format. Um, Ooh, yeah. It, you know, I mean, because then that would minimize the either. You know, I mean, so if if the North is the lower seeded team then you just have that one team come in for three games and they're out and that's it. It's over. Right. If they're the higher seeded team, then they only come in twice as opposed to, you know, possibly three times if it goes seven games. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if that wouldn't be, because I mean, a home ice advantage doesn't mean diddly squat now. Right. So I'm, I'm, you know, I, the more I think about that, the more I think the whole playoff should be that this year, like it should be. Yeah, it would make sense for sure. Yeah, that, that I remember what I was makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyways, yeah that, uh, Thanks for attending my TED talk. 
I do remember what I was going to say before. It was about bubbles. So obviously there's, there's potential that the league could move for a bubble for the last two rounds of the playoffs, but there doesn't seem to be a strong appetite for that among the uh, NHL Players Association, unless all families were allowed to attend. Because I know if you talk to most players, the bubble was not an experience that they look back on fondly. Yes, they were able to make it work and, you know, they had their little bubble society. Uh, but overall, most players described it as, as sort of an emotionally emotionally trying experience to be away from the families that long. So even though it only be for a couple of rounds, it doesn't sound like there's an appetite for it. So I think that's an absolute last resort. I still wouldn't rule it out, but I don't think it's, it's first in line for suggestions. Next question is from Ernie Morris. Ernie wants to, Ernie's has a lot to say here. I feel like we are coming to an end of the torts era in Columbus. If any GM in the league would go off radar on a coaching hire, it would be Yarmo Kikalainen. Is he the guy who could ultimately give Igor Lariana his first NHL job, Ryan. Okay. And I know Ernie Morris from Twitter. He's a good guy. Um, I don't think Igor Larionov is the right fit in Columbus, but I do think Igor Larionov should get a chance very soon. And I believe later in this mailbag, I might have the answer for that. Um, Columbus would have to radically restructure their lineup for Igor Larionov to be effective because, you know, he is a coach who, uh, you know, really promotes creativity and sort of, you know, offensive flair holding on to the puck. That's just not what Columbus has. You know, they've got a lot of bangers, um, you know, a lot of big bodies that can get in on the four check and be very effective. And, you know, if, if Tortorella's not working and, you know, it's, it's not going great right now, um, I think you need to find somebody that at least can tailor the, you know, the roster to how they coach. Maybe it's Claude Julien, you know, I mean, Claude Julien is a coach that I think would fit there. Um, or you go somebody completely different that at least plays more of a defensive heavy hockey per, you know, if we're talking to first, uh, first timer, Scott Sandlin, the coach of the university of Minnesota Duluth, you know, we've sort of talked about him for years and, you know, once again, the Bulldogs, uh, you know, a very well-structured team. They don't have the same uh, defensive stars as they used to, uh, but they're back in the NCAA uh, tournament. So that to me would be a better fit. Uh, but I believe that Igor Larionov is, getting to the point where it would be great to see a team uh, take a swing with him. Yeah, I, I think, I think Tortorella is probably going to be staying where he is. I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't trade Pierre-Luc Dubois for nothing, right? Like they could have at that point, they could have said, yeah, we're going to, we're going to stick with you and we're going to get rid of the coach. They didn't do that. Um, they stayed with, they stayed with, with Torts and, and I mean, Tortorella is not really an off the radar hiring. So I, I'm not, I'm not sure that Yarmo Kekalainen is going to be one of these guys that's going to go out and find somebody that, you know, that, that nobody's heard of or, or would think of. Right. Um, you, you know, as far as Larionov is concerned, I, I mean, I, I, you know, a lot more about the coaching that he's done, but aside from the world juniors this year, Ryan, what is his coaching pedigree? Oh, I mean, it's mostly with, you know, Russian international teams yeah. on the, the junior level. He, he's yeah. certainly new to the game. Yeah, I, I think, I think, I don't think Igor Larionov is even close to being ready to being an NHL coach right now. Um, you know, I mean, if, if I were hiring, he would not be the guy that I would, 
that I would hire. Um, I mean, he wasn't, his team wasn't particularly successful at the world juniors. Um, you know, so I, I, that wouldn't be a guy that I would be after. And, you know, to me, I mean, for Tortorella, he's an unrestricted, an unrestricted free agent after this year, albeit on a, you know, and he's been the best coach that the Columbus Blue Jackets have ever had full stop, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know the bar is not terribly high there, but he is the best coach in franchise history. And to me, you know, when the Calgary Flames go out and hire a Daryl Sutter, um, it tells me there's always a place for a John Tortorella in the NHL. Mm-hmm. There's always, always a place. So if it's not Columbus, at the end of this year, one of the teams is going to look at its roster and say, we've turned, we've gone too soft. You know, we are too, you know, we're, we're, there's too much of a country club going on around here. There's not enough accountability, blah, blah, blah. We're bringing Tortorella in. So um, I think there's that to consider mm-hmm. as well. But I, I would suspect that he'll probably stay. They really like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I I don't know what made me think of it, but uh, random Igor Larionov story. There was a day in our office, like shortly before COVID really hit, like winter 2020, and it was a dark. It was a rainy day, a dark and rainy day, and then a mysterious man just emerged at the door to our office, like covered in rain with an umbrella, and he just walked in the office. We're like, "Hello, Igor Larionov," and it was Igor (laughs) Larionov, and no one knew that he was coming. Like he was kind of like someone had forgotten to tell someone, and he just like showed up in the rain, like in the dark, like he was in a film noir movie, and it was pretty funny. Um, Yeah. Igor Larion, shout out, good dude. Um, it's interesting. So this question from Ernie, I feel like Ernie, what Ernie's doing here is mistaking Vermkeklinen's uh, autonomy for creativity. I don't think he's known as a real outside the box thinker. He's an independent thinker. So ownership gives a lot of space and latitude to Keklinen to do what he wants to build the team in his image, his vision. But his vision is not a creative outside the box one. It's a hard-nosed one. This is a guy who passed on his fellow Finn, Yessi Pugliarvi, to take Pierre-Luc Dubois. That's how committed to the smash mouth style he is. And Tortorella is far more his style of coach than Larianov. So even if Tortorella is gone, I think the only way you're going to get a type uh, type coach in Columbus is if you have a different GM. I think it's more likely that Kekalainen hires another taskmaster type because it's someone he can relate to because we know he's a pretty, you know, he's a hard dude. Um, Next question is, okay, this is, this is Ranton and Raven again. And people might be mad that Ranton and Raven gets another question, but I've said this before on the podcast. I prioritize the question over the question asker because I want this to be the best question for the readers. This is just another really good question. So Ranton and Raven, you're back again. You have the floor again. This question is, what is one equipment modification you would make to improve the game? It can be a goal, whatever you want, Ryan. Honestly, like to me, right now I'm, I'm fine. You know, um, I, I think goalie equipment is all right. Uh, there's like three goalies I trust in the NHL right now. I don't know what Ken Dryden is talking about. Um, maybe he should start watching games instead of just like, you know, talking to people that want to talk to him in the press box all the time. Because like the Nets don't need to be bigger. Uh, we have tons of goals. Uh, we, if anything, maybe they should make the nets smaller at this point because uh, goalies just can't stop anything unless your name is Andre Vasilevsky or Marc-Andre Fleury and maybe like two other guys. Um, I think that, you know, in terms of equipment, you know, I mean, there's there's always little tweaks you can do, but I think the game's at a pretty good spot right now uh, when it comes to, you know, the size of things, regulations, you know, I, I think they keep on top of things as best they can. So I'm, I'm cool with it. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I certainly think the goaltending equipment could be smaller, but to me um, it's not an equipment 
sort of tweak or anything. It's it's a it's a, it's a rule tweak or like a culture tweak to me. I, I would like to see the NHL mandate that players have to wear their helmets during warmups. Um, you know, I mean, you know, we saw Taylor Hall get, you know, he had a terrible accident. I think there's been one that's happened this year as well, which is, and I can't remember who it was, but uh, you know, I mean, you see these guys whipping around during warmups, pucks are flying everywhere, bodies are going everywhere. And these guys aren't wearing helmets. And, and, and it's, it's, it, to me, it, it's really dangerous. I'd like to see them wearing the helmets during warmup. And, you know, and, and speaking of helmets, I, I just think it's absolutely ridiculous that, that if you lose your helmet during a legitimate play, you know, a, a, an actual hockey play that's going on, you got to go back to the bench or you get a penalty. But if you're in a fight and your helmet falls off, just keep punching away. Just keep punching <laughs> away. You know, yep, that's fine. You know, we're not going to stop the fight. <laughs> so that's another one. But I, I would say helmets during warmups. Yeah, well, especially when they're fighting and the guy, the fights, every fight nowadays ends with two guys coming down and they hit the ice. That's like the new tradition that every fight ends with like some, somebody about to brutally slam his head on the ice because they always have to fall down at the end. Um, I'm going to say goalie pads. I, I wouldn't change anything above the waist because you've got to keep your goalie safe. I know goalies are very concerned about that. When they changed the padding a few years ago, I remember talking to Braden Holpe. He was really fired up about it. And, and so was Brian Elliott. So I'd say below the waist. And I have an, I have an idea for a really zany funk goalie pad design it's like more like a cylinder shape it wraps around the leg so it's still going to be thick it's going to keep the leg safe but it's a lot smaller and it creates crazy rebounds as well so the goalies can't they wouldn't have a case that they're unsafe but just the pads would cover a lot less surface area like i have it wrapping almost like a shin pad but like bigger thicker shin pad like and it would create some like craig ludwig yes exactly <laughs> call them the ludwigs there you go I should talk to him and try and make a patent. Uh, next question is, uh, I, I funny, I didn't write down the name of the person that asked this question. I forgot to, but the question is, should. I, I, I wrote it twice. I wrote, should the NHL force the sale of the Sabres? Should the NHL force the sale of the Sabres? <laughs> Such an epic question that I wrote it down twice. Can what matter? Um, no. No, of course they shouldn't force the, the sale of the Sabres. I mean, I, I mean, as as dark as things look in Buffalo right now, and as 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 badly as they're doing, um, you know, there have been way way worse owners in the NHL than Terry Pagula, like way worse ones. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> the NHL allowed Harold Ballard to run the Toronto Maple Leafs for 35 years and, and he ran them into the ground. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I mean, has, has it, has it not gone well? It has not gone well. Have the Pagulas not been able to stay out of their own way? No, they have not been able to stay out of their own way. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, is they bought the Sabres at a time. You know, I mean, there's not a lot of people lining up to buy the Buffalo Sabres. So when someone who has that kind of money and that kind of resources buys the Buffalo Sabres, you're going to keep them around. Um, he's done a lot for the organization in terms of, you know, building up the Harbor Center area. He's done some good. He's done some really good things. They've done some good things. Uh, they just, like I said, and, and I've, I've said it for years, they just can't seem to get out of their own way when it comes to their hockey team. They've done it with the football team and they've hired a GM and a coach that it appears they're allowing to, to them to do what they want. And, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> out of coincidence, they just happen to be a Super Bowl contender. So um, I just think the Pagulas, 
just have to be told by somebody to stay out of their own way, hire some people who know what they're doing, hire an experienced hockey executive as the president of hockey operations for this team, allow him to make the decisions that he needs to make in order to get to fix this thing. And I think things will be fine. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I mean, I think one of the most important things is that they spend money on the Sabres. You know, it, it hasn't always turned out to be wisely spent money, uh, but they've spent on some big contracts. They've, you know, they've allowed their GMs to make moves and yeah, it hasn't worked out. And this season, you know, in, you know, I was thinking in terms of Buffalo history ranks somewhere between like Scott Norwood and the McKinley assassination. Um, I'm not sure like where you order them, but it's, it's been pretty bad, but I don't even know if they're like the worst owners the Sabres have even had, you know I mean? They've had some, some pretty rough patches in the past. And at least you have people that obviously care and they're willing to spend. And I, I agree with Ken, you know, you need to bring in somebody, I believe Ken, you suggested Jim Rutherford at one yeah. point yeah. to come in and just say, look, I got rings. Uh, I can tell you how to at least get on the path to another one to one for you guys. Uh, if you just, you know, go back to drilling wells and let me take care of the rest. Yeah, I agree. I don't think in this case, the NHL can force the sale because like you said, Ryan, the Pagulas are spending money on a team and this is a team that their revenue went up six years in a row before the COVID season hit. So they're not, I wouldn't say profitable per se, but they're still making, they're still, their revenue is on the rise. So it's not like this is an Arizona Coyotes situation. I think if you punish a team or try to take a team away just because they're bad, it sets a very dangerous precedent because where do you draw the line? How many seasons in a row do you have to miss the playoffs? I think it's got to be strictly financially motivated if you're stepping in to intervene. And, you know, the Sabres attendance is a little bit down, but their version of down in this market, two years ago, they were about 93% capacity. Last season, they were about 90% capacity, still around the 17,000 mark. It's not like this is a Senator situation where you're getting 12,000 people in the seats uh, in a non-COVID situation, right? So I, I don't think this is a case where you can step in and try and force a sale of the team. Next question comes from Jake Lahoot. And Jake says, I'm always down for reflection on how the NHL is trying to market itself and grow the game. How are they doing on the PR front now compared to over the summer? And is Adidas helping the sport with the reverse retro jerseys? Can well, okay. So what what I'm I'm not sure what he means now as opposed to over the summer, because I thought over the summer. They did an amazing job. <laughs> you know, they they pulled it off. They did it. They pulled off a season in a bubble. And uh, um, you know, I mean, I think I think they've done a they've done a, a really good job. I think, you know, obviously the retro um the retro reversal sweaters has been a, a boon, you know, for the most part, they're they're really well liked, they're selling well. Um you know, and as far as PR is concerned, um, you know, they're, they're, they're doing fine. I mean, I, I think, I think that the, the fact that they've made every team's players and coaches available after every game by zoom to everyone, I think has been really good over the, the course of the pandemic. I mean, in fact, you know, it gives people like us access to players and coaches that we would have never had, you know, under normal circumstances, if they were just doing it in the dressing room. So, yeah, I, I think, I think they've done, a, I think they've done a really good job, all things considering, I think the NHL has done actually an exemplary job, you know, through the pandemic and, uh, and, and, you know, it, it will be, you know, coming out the other side, I think it will be in pretty good shape because of that. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the, the really interesting thing about the reverse retro jerseys was that Adidas unveiled them at kind of a dead spot in the calendar. So it was perfect for the hockey world because it's like, ah, we have something to talk about. We have something to debate. And, you know, because they were uh, so bold, you could have a wide range of opinions on whether certain team jerseys were awesome or horrible. And I thought that was a pretty good marketing move there just to keep the conversation going because the bubble had been pulled off prior to that as well. And, you know, ESPN uh, with with that deal, I know we've spoken about it on the podcast before, but just the, um, you know, the good press that you get from getting a new TV deal and getting ESPN on board when, you know, they've neglected hockey for quite a while now. And it's, you know, it makes sense. If you don't have any skin in the game, then, then why promote it? You know, now they're back on board and it's, it's exciting to think about what that will mean for the sport in the U S it's exciting to think, you know, what it could even mean grassroots hockey when you have, you know, casual fans, when you have kids that, you know, just watch sports center every day or, or go on the ESPN website every day. Now they're going to be exposed to hockey content. And I think that's a huge win for the NHL And the best part is there's still more contract to come. So, you know, whether it's NBC or another network like Fox, you know, they're going to be expanding that, that base. And that's a, that's a really good thing. Mm -hmm. It's funny with reverse retro. I think there's an unwritten rule that if you're, if you're over 50 years old, you you say retro reverse. So Ken said retro reverse. I've heard anyone who's over 50, I heard them say retro reverse. We say reverse retro. Uh, but they have been tremendously strong sellers. And, and I was going to say the same thing about ESPN, right? I think it's it's a lot more exposure. And it kind of reminds me, you know, I remember it was the mid-90s. It was when Michael Jordan was in his temporary retirement. And there was a, a Sports Illustrated cover that said, well, why the NHL's hot and the NBA's not? And that was, I believe, the peak, or at least in the middle of the ESPN, you know, Gary Thorne, that era. And we're going to be seeing that type of exposure again for the league, which to me, nothing but good can come of it. So I, I agree with you guys um, that those are the two things, reverse retro. And I think the TV deal is going to be a huge boon for the league and exposure. We did talk about it last week. Next question comes from Habs Warrior. How come when the puck is rung along the glass and around the back of the net and the goalie knocks it down with a high stick and his teammate defenseman plays it, it is not blown down for a high stick. So I'm going to take this one. I think I can pitch a three up, three down inning here because I reached out to Mike Murphy at the hockey ops department to get the actual answer because he oversees the officiating for the league along with Chris King and Colin Campbell. Uh, and he said it should be blown down. So the the rules are identical for skaters and goaltenders for high sticking. So if a goalie, it's all about where the stick is relative to the shoulders. If a goalie reaches higher than his shoulders to knock a puck down on a clearing attempt, that should be blown dead if his teammate touches it. If the, if the other team plays it on the forecheck, the play can continue. But otherwise, goalies are subjected to the same rules. And when you think about the root of it, you know, all high sticking rules are about safety, right? It's all about keeping your stick down. So goalies would have to be suggest, uh, subjected to the same level of safety. So if it's not being called, it's a missed call. But the main thing to watch for is the goalie's shoulders and where is he holding his stick? Um, yeah, so I think that answers it, unless you guys have anything you want to add to that. Well, the, N- the NHL not calling a rule that's in the rule book? Oh my God, <laughs> I'm over with a feather. <laughs> the next one comes from Phil's hockey page. And Phil wants to know, how about a quick review of Keandre Miller's season so far? Thanks. Ryan. I mean, I've been pretty pleased. You know, Keandre Miller is the type of player that, you know, we're just starting to see 
his ascent. And I think this has been a good year for him where, you know, he's been able to get good NHL experience and the spotlight hasn't been that glaring because, you know, New York obviously um, has some pretty big names in the lineup already. And then they had Alexi Lafreniere coming in as the first overall pick in the 2020 draft. So for me, Miller's been as advertised, you know, I mean, he's a big kid. He can help you in, you know, in both the defensive zone and the offensive zone, he's getting his reps in um, and, you know, he's, he's being relatively protected and that he's, you know, he's got some other uh, young blue liners and, and veteran blue liners uh, that can help him along the way. So I've been pretty pleased. And I think the future is bright for both him and the Rangers. It's just going to take a bit of time. Yeah, I, I haven't drilled real deep on this one, uh, but I get the sense that he's he's probably probably playing some pretty protected minutes as he should be. I mean, he's a rookie on a bad team, you know, and they've got Jacob Truba. They've got some, you know, some veteran guys that that are going to have to take on those those harder, heavy lifting, you know, kind of minutes. And, and that's the way it should be. You should be setting your 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 young players up for a chance to at least, you know, be successful. And I think what I like most about Keandre Miller is that we don't hear a lot about him. You know, we don't hear a ton about him, which is good. I think that's good. I think that's really good. You know, let him grow. He's in a big market. Let him grow, let him progress. And at least we're not hearing, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, he's got a lot of potential, but he's an absolute, you know, uh, he's an absolute, you know, show in his in his own zone or something like that you know and he, and he's being victimized and he's getting schooled and and dangled by all sorts of guys we don't we don't hear those things um and i think that's a good thing mm-hmm. it's interesting i i was doing a bit of digging on keandre miller and what really stood out to me is the fact that he's not actually as shelters shelters as i would have expected so he's playing over 20 minutes a game and if you look at at five on five, all the Rangers defensemen this year, he has the fewest offensive zone starts for 60 minutes. And if you look at his most commonly faced opponents, the top 10 include Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak. So Keandre Miller is getting some looks against high quality competition. I'm not saying he's being rolled out there in a nonstop shutdown role, but he's not being, you know, the way it's not like the, the way the, the Blues use Vince Dunn, for example, where he's just kind of hidden away and he's got these awesome session numbers because he's never handling a tough matchup. I think they understand that they understand that Miller game when he's at his best I think it's going to be pretty similar to Jacob Truba's what he's going to bring to the table mobile for a big guy very physical definitely not a zero offensively either pretty well-rounded maybe almost like Keandre Miller's ceiling could be a rich man's Jake Muzzin or something like that right just very well-rounded all-around game so I think I've been pretty impressed um I wouldn't be that surprised if he got some down ballot Calder votes the way his season's going so far. There's been some really good rookie goalies, including one on his own team that probably would push him out of being a finalist, but I could see him getting a vote here, uh, here and there. Uh, next question is from James. James wants to know, the Dallas Stars are going to need to play some lights out hockey down the stretch to make it. If they fall short of the playoffs, who could be sold and what type of return could we expect? So I, I engaged with James on Twitter to try and understand if he meant selling you know, before the trade deadline or selling in the summer. And he kind of said both. So if it's before the trade deadline, I think you've got to look at shopping Anton Kadobin, Jake, Jake Ottinger, Ottinger. I never say his name out loud. Ryan will correct me. Ottinger has played so well that I think he's cementing himself as the long-term answer. He's also exempt from the expansion draft. So you have Ben Bishop, who has a no move clause. You have Ottinger. You don't have to protect him, which means that Anton Kadobin becomes more expendable. And maybe if you're out of the playoffs, you can move him to a team that needs goaltending depth. 
And because he's sort of that luxury backup, he had a great run to the final before he ran out of gas last year. If it's the offseason that James is talking about, I do wonder if you try to find a taker for Joe Pavelski, who's, you know, having the best season of his career, perhaps, and will have one year left on his deal. It's just difficult with the flat cap. Just these types of trades are not going to be as easy as they can uh, to execute as they normally are. And every, you look at any big name, even a guy with only a year left on his deal, it's almost like you have to factor in. The, the team trading him eating salary now every time you talk about these trades. So maybe if Dallas misses the playoffs, you do shop Joe Pavelski in the summer, but that may include having to pay half the salary. Uh, what do you think, Mr. Campbell? Well, I, you know, I, I look down their list and I see three pending unrestricted free agents, Jamie Alexiak, Blake Como, and Andrew Cogliano. Um, All three of those guys, in my opinion, would be great they just, they just feel like great deadline pickups. Like, you know, I mean, I mean, Jamie Alexiak was really good in the playoffs last year. He had five goals for the, for the Dallas stars last year in the playoffs. And he's, and he's putting together a pretty decent season this year as well. You know? So, I mean, I, I'd be, you know, if, if, if I'm sniffing around for some defensive depth and, you know, I want a guy that's been there, he's been to the final, he contributed, you know, he s- seems to have found his game a little bit. You know, there's a guy, you know, Blake Como. I mean, these are, these are guys, you know, Andrew Cogliano. I mean, these are guys that have been around. They've played hundreds and hundreds of NHL games, you know, in the case of Cogliano, hundreds and hundreds of them in a row, um, you know, and, and just those guys that, you know, can be that, that sort of third, fourth line guy who you can depend on in a, you know, in a tight game, you know, late in a series and, you know, may even score a big goal for you here or there. Yeah, the first name that came to mind for me was uh, was Blake Como. Uh, pardon me, you know, I look at the Dallas Stars and, you know, no Tyler Sagan, no Ben Bishop. They made the final last year. I mean, personally, and I tend to be very conservative on these things, I wouldn't do too much because you have like the double Stanley Cup hangover where not only are you coming off, you know, uh, the crushing bubble loss where, you know, we already talked about the emotional toll of being in the bubble – So coming away empty, I'm sure it was really rough on the stars, but then also you lose two of your best players to long-term injuries. So you're not the team that you really could be. And I would really like to see what this Dallas outfit can do next season. I don't want to do too much. Um, And it's funny, you know, Ken, like Jamie Alexiak, you're right. I'm at the point now where when I'm looking at prospects, I'm now saying like, yeah, he could be a Jamie Alexiak um, where it's like, yeah, that'd be worth it. You know, like big guy, you know, skates better than you think he could can chip in every once in a while, playing, playing physical. Um, so he's become like my new archetype, but uh, I would, you know, if I'm Dallas, I would like to hang on to him. If I can't, I think Como would be, you know, the type of player that maybe you get like a second or a third rounder for, if you're lucky. Um, and you just try to do little things. I would be, hesitant to trade Kudobin before the deadline because I think you just need to have goalies if you're Dallas like Ottinger can be your starter um, but if Bishop's not back yet then you're going even deeper into your pool and that would make me a little worrisome I almost wonder if Dallas kind of goes into the expansion draft thinking like okay well we lose Kudobin we lose Kudobin you know, he'd be, he'd be pretty good guy for Seattle as maybe their one B. Um, and I would just kind of, that, that would be my thing is, you know, yeah. Cogliano, Como, see what you can get for them. Try to re-sign Alexiak. And then once you got Sagan back next year and Bishop, um, maybe you can do more damage. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Okay. We're going to do three more questions. We have so many good ones, uh, but I'm going to save a few for next week. I want to get to as many as we can, but we'll save a few that are sort of more big picture and they'll still be relevant next week. So we'll do three more. This one is from the most Irish name since Ryan Kennedy and Matt Larkin. Even Devlin, even Devlin wants to know which teams do you think are going to make trades with Seattle to unload a contract or protect a certain player? Okay, I'm sorry. Which teams do you think are going to make trades with Seattle to unload a contract or protect a certain player? I know we thought teams had learned their lesson from Vegas, but the flat cap may change things now. The flat cap may change things. Uh, To me, it's Calgary. I think Calgary... Uh, is in a tough spot. So if we're looking at a 7-3-1 protection scheme, you got Michael Backlund, Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monaghan, Brady Kuch- or Matthew Kachuk, Dylan Dubé, and uh, Elias Lindholm. And then you're probably going to want to protect Andrew Mangiapane. And if you do that, then you still have the problem of Milan Lucic, who has a no-movement clause. So I think what you want is for Lucic to waive his no-move. You make a side deal. Lucic gets to go closer to home. He goes to Seattle. It's close to, obviously, BC. And you make some kind of side deal. You may, maybe you have to give, I don't know, a, a, a first round pick to get them to take Lucic's contract. But I don't, I think Calgary, if Lucic doesn't waive that no movement clause, I think the flames are in trouble. They're going to have to expose a pretty good player that I think would get claimed by Seattle. What do you think, Ken? Well, you know, we talked about the Tampa Bay lightning last week and their, and their situation with the cap and sort of the manipulations that have been going on with Nikita Kucherov. I mean, they're up against it um, big time, <clears throat> you know, I mean, if I'm the, if I'm the Tampa Bay Lightning, I'd be steering Seattle towards Tyler Johnson. Um, you know, I mean, it, it would be a good fit. Um, he's from Spokane, you know, from near there. Um, you know, I think he'd be a, I think he'd be a great pickup for them. He'd be a good, he'd be a good player for them. Um, you know, if I, so if I'm the Tampa Bay Lightning, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, we'd be willing to make it worth your while to take Tyler Johnston instead of, uh, you know, someone else that we'd have to expose. Yeah, Tyler Johnson was uh, my thought as well, uh, where it just the, the fit seems so perfect. And, you know, for Seattle, even though the fit is so is so good, you are still hel- helping Tampa Bay out. So maybe say like, yeah, you know, we'll take them, but we'd also like, you know, like a second round pick. And if you're Tampa Bay, I think you say, OK, well, I mean, we're in our Stanley Cup window. We've already won one. We win another one this year. Um, you know, our prospect pool is uh, decent enough. Uh, for the future that and and they just have a knack for finding some really useful guys late in the draft Uh, something to pay attention to in the NCAA tournament but uh, I I think for Tampa Bay it would be worth figuring out how to get Tyler Johnson to Seattle next one is from Scott Baker if the Flyers miss the playoffs what changes would you expect to be made in the front office behind the bench or on the ice I'm not seeing big wholesale changes. If you look at Chuck Fletcher and, and Alain Vigneault, they're not really out of runway yet. They haven't been there that long. The team was quite successful last year. I think this is a strange, you hope it's an anomaly. The defense core has not been the same since Matt Niskanen left. So I think you're going to have Eric Gustafson going UFA, freeing up a bit of money. You have to re-sign Carter Hart, Travis Sanheim, who are RFAs. But you need, I think, to replace whatever Niskanen brought that last year. You got to find that veteran top four good defenseman to stabilize that group and help the young guys. Maybe it's Dougie Hamilton. Like if Philly could afford to take a run at Dougie Hamilton, that could turn them into an, into an instant Stanley cup favorite. I think next year, the weirdest thing about the season is just that the flyers, you know, their, their young stars, Carter Hart and Travis connect have been two of their weaker players. Like Hart has graded out as one of the worst goalies in the league and Travis connect he's been a healthy scratch at times. So I don't know what to think about the flyers this season. I thought they'd be a lot better 
there's still time to turn it around. But I don't think because it's a short season, I don't think you want to rock the boat too much. I think you have to give this group a mulligan because they're also just playing in maybe maybe the hardest division in NHL history. It's got to be up there when there's six good teams in that division. And, you know, all due respect to Buffalo and New Jersey, you can just nudge them aside. But I think there's going to be two good teams miss the playoffs. We said that at the start of the season. So I, I wouldn't rock the boat too much. I think you just have to pursue a good defenseman for the top four. That's what I do. What do you think, Kent? Well, you know, I mean, it, for me, the, the, it's, the Flyers are a bit of a mystery because number one, they're, they're flat. They're, they're hands down the biggest disappointment in the, in the NHL this year for me. Um, but, but to me, it's like, it's like they had, they seem to have these young players, but they don't seem to come along as well or as quickly as you'd like, you know, I mean, I think we thought, you know, like, I mean, even Ivan Provorov hit a speed bump there and in the last couple of years, and now, now we're seeing with Carter Hart, who, you know, maybe as it turns out, maybe just maybe was rushed along a little too quickly, you know, when, 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 you, you know, when, when you look at it in its totality, you know, you talked about Travis Konechny and now at the other end, you've got the Voracek's and the Giroux's and the, and the James Van Riemsdyk's who are starting to age out and are starting to really, you know, their, their impact is, although Van Riemsdyk, at least at the beginning was having a great year this year. Um, you know, their, their impact is good is going to lessen. So I think you need something in that middle. Those, some of those younger guys have to step up, you know, so do you make a trade for say a Johnny Gaudreau who's, uh, you know, a quasi local guy, you know, you know, do you do that? Do you, do you go for Dougie Hamilton, as you said, but I think this year, like you said, Matt, it's, it's this year is, is so, bizarre on so many levels and and i mean I, I i agree with you i don't think chuck fletcher or ally Vigneault are going anywhere right now um you know i don't think that they've had the a real opportunity to you know to really see what they can do with this group um and i i would probably err on the side of maybe you know sticking with what you have getting back into the division you're supposed to be in next year and seeing how things you know pan out there mm. Yeah, when I look at the defense core, Matt, you made a, a very good point about Matt Niskanen. And I, I almost feel like we predicted that this was going to happen where, you know, Provorov and Shane Gossesbear, you know, they they struggled. Uh, and then, you know, Niskanen came in and it seemed to, they got a bit of a bump and, you know, now he's not there anymore. Uh, you know, Dougie Hamilton would be lovely, but I don't think he's the right fit for what they need other than the fact that he's, really really good mm -hmm. I think for what they need on that defense core is an older player and I, I feel like I mentioned this guy a lot but Brian Dumoulin is always like the perfect candidate in my head like if you could get him or maybe even David Savard would be easier out of Columbus you know if the jackets are you know moving things around David Savard I feel would be the kind of guy where you know He's your defensive shot blocking veteran. You put him on a pair with Provorov or Ghost Bear, and all of a sudden, you know, they don't have to worry as much about their own end. You hope that they do, but you kind of assume that they won't. Um, or, you know, even Sandheim or whoever it happens to be, Philippe Myers. I feel that's the kind of they need to sort of restore balance to get the most out of those young guys. And, you know, you guys are probably right about coaching, but. Um, you know, if they did want to mix it up, this is where I would see Igor Larionov coming in mm -hmm. and saying, hey, guys, let's have some fun. You know, Claude Giroux, we know you can wheel. Travis Konechny, we know you can move. Nolan Patrick, let's see what you can do. 
Um, and then, of course, you know, Provorov and Ghost Bear and guys like that, uh, obviously, they're very mobile as well. So let's see, you know, we have all this talent, you know, Voracek, JVR, you know, guys who have scored a lot uh, either in the past or with JVR right now. That, to me, would be a fun fit for Larianov, where he could have a roster that he could really sink his teeth into. Hmm, interesting. And I, I like that David Svart idea because he's a pending UFA. So even if the Flyers miss the playoffs, they could target him in the summer. And to me, he'd be affordable. Like You might be able to get David Savard for you know four years at a $4 million cap hit or something like that. And then you could still afford to, to re-sign Hart and Sandheim. So I think that's a pretty good fit. Good thinking. Last question is from James Tubb. Active current intern james tubb getting some favoritism from the staff because i like his question it's all about the questions all about the questions and james question is who is one name you see being moved at the trade deadline who hasn't been on any list yet well i haven't seen him on a list yet but i think he's a deep sleeper because he could be the type of guy that if he gets moved it could completely blow up the playoffs and that's john gibson in Anaheim so he's got i believe it's six years he's got a lot of term left on his deal obviously his game has 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 really taking a nosedive because the team around him has crumbled when the ducks were really good. He was really good. He was probably the best goalie on the planet. I think even just two or three years ago, he's still young. He's still in his twenties, a lot of upside left. And I think he's someone on a really good team could suddenly become, you know, again, a Vezina trophy caliber goalie, a, co- a guy who could go on a run and win a consummate. He's capable of stealing games. It's just complicated in the flat cap. Like it would be a pretty wild trade to try and execute. You'd have to move money the other way to fit him under the cap because he's making, I think it's more what is it, 6.4 million or something above $6 million. And it's just a matter of are the ducks who, you know, they, for a team that's, that's rebuilding and out of the playoffs, they're spending a lot of money. So they'd have to be willing to move on from their franchise goalie. But I, I, there have been some whispers. I remember hearing earlier this season that he might want out. I don't know if it's just rumor or not, but if there's any chance and goaltending is just so volatile this year. Maybe you take a swing and you go for John Gibson. What do you think, Ken? Well, I'm going to stay with the same team, and I'm going to go with uh, Troy Terry, a uh, guy who it, things really haven't worked out so great for him in Anaheim. There seem to be some whispers that um, he would welcome, might welcome a change of scenery, and a guy that you know, obviously I think he's only got six goals this year. I think he scored last night actually. So, so I think he's got five or six goals this year. Obviously things just haven't worked out there the way that they would have thought that both sides would have thought, and maybe it's time for a time for a new change of scenery for that guy. And that would be a guy, a young guy that, you know, might, might fetch them something a little more than, you know, just the standard sort of return at the deadline. Mm. I'm going to go with Johnny Gaudreau. I don't know if this is cheating because maybe people have been mentioning him, but, you know, I could see there being a drastic move where, you know, Calgary kind of has this new vibe and, you know, you want to sell high because I think that, you know, even if, uh, you know, Gaudreau isn't putting up the numbers that he did at his peak, like he's still not that old a guy and he's the type of scorer that in the right situation, I think could quickly, uh, light it up again. And obviously you could get, you know, sort of a King's ransom for him. Mm-hmm. I, it's funny. The previous question about the flyers, I'm kind of thinking Johnny Gaudreau for Travis Konechny one for one who says no mm. kind of an idea. I think Konechny would play a style that Daryl Sutter likes it a little bit more. They play different wings, but I don't know. I feel like that could work. Uh, okay. That's going to be it for the questions for this episode. I, I am going to put aside some questions that we didn't get to this week because there are a lot of good ones and I'm sorry, we got to keep it moving. We're going to finish with the rapid fire game. Ken, you are the host. Uh, Ryan, you answer first. I will be the second answer. Okay, boys, here we go. Uh, 
I'm sure as as you I'm sure you know today is Shaka Khan's 68th birthday. I'm sure you know I'm sure you guys had that on your calendar. Um, I still have you know nightmares about watching her and Robin Thicke together on the stage at the NHL Awards in 2009 in Vegas. I don't know if you guys were there. Were you guys at that one? No, no, no. Okay, well that was yeah that was that was a bit scary. Anyways, without saying Madonna because we know she's the she's She's the bomb. Um, who is your ultimate 80s diva? Oh, Whitney Houston. Hands down. Yeah. yeah. No, nobody can compete with Whitney Houston's voice. And she did the best American national anthem ever at that Super Bowl. Yeah. Eight, 80s diva. Like, I want to say Mariah Carey, but I feel like she's only late 80s. So I don't know if she counts as an 80s diva like she's she's more of a 90s diva obviously Whitney would be number one 80s I, I think the I don't know if there was a true diva otherwise in the 80s I think it was more kind of the like pop rock you have like Pat Benatar people like that might have to be your pick because obviously Mon Madonna had, had a monopoly underrated I'd say Taylor Dane great voice yeah. so more pop I'll say Taylor Dane love will lead you back okay for me it's uh it's Annie Lennox um, Ooh, to yes. me, to me, Annie Lennox is the the greatest vocal. She's the, she's the greatest singer ever, in my opinion. The range she has from high to low, and she just she sounds like an angel. So to me, it's Annie Lennox hands down. Okay, my mom would be very proud about that. She loves Annie Lennox. Also, fun fact: when I was thirteen years old, I looked exactly like Annie Lennox. My first <laughs> day of high school, I was a dead ringer for Annie Lennox. Wow. Did, you, did we you know did we really need to know that or like i don't know yeah you, do you don't look like her anymore no. <laughs> wow <laughs> matt larkin looked like annie lennox yeah. i don't i don't even know what to do with that i really did uh, okay so um connor bedard of the regina pats in case you guys haven't noticed is off to a fairly good start five goals four assists nine points in five games with the regina pats and his team has scored a total of 15 goals. So he's been on nine, in on nine of them. How does that stack up against Connor McDavid? Well, Connor McDavid, after five games with the Erie, with the Erie Otters, one goal, five assists, six points on 15 goals for the Erie Otters. How does that stack up against John Tavares? After five games, six goals, one assist on 21 goals for the Oshawa Generals. So, I mean, after a very, very short sample size, Connor Bedard is proving every bit the equal of those guys as the exceptional underage player. My question to you is how many points is Connor Bedard going to have in 2023, 2022-23, which is his draft year? Mm, I'm going to say he's going to have about 140 based on what he's doing now. Because yeah. I've been watching those games. Most of his goals are unassisted. He is literally doing it by himself <laughs> because that Pats team doesn't have any other offensive weapons. He's literally doing it by himself. Everybody knows it, and they can't stop him. Yeah, I'll, I'll say 136 because obviously he's going to get the call to the World Juniors. He might miss. Yeah. He, I don't think he's going to play a full schedule. So that it's a compliment to him that he might not get the quite as high of a point total as expected. But I do think he is going to be the next one. He passes the same test of, you know, like obviously there's a lot of excitement for Shane Wright and, and Matthew Savoy. And, those guys that are coming the year before Bedard in that draft class, but Bedard passes the child test of like, are people 
almost creepily talking about him when he's still a child, which they were like, we knew who Connor Bernard was two, three years ago. And that was the same for Sidney Crosby. That was the same for Connor McDavid. It was the same for Bobby Orr. So I, I do think if, if you have to pick, you know, someone who will be drafted in the next five years and place a bet on generational talent, I'll say Connor Bernard. That wasn't a rapid fire answer. I talked too long. I apologize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think, I think Connor McDavid had 120 in his draft year. And I think John Tavares only had 104 only, but I think he was really bored for half of that season in Oshawa. Um, I'm going to say like 150. I, I mean, I think this kid is, is, I mean, like you said, Ryan, you know, and, but it, it all depends on whether or not like he's doing it all by himself right now. So if he's doing it all by himself right now, he's, he's going to, his point totals are going to suffer because he doesn't have anybody to get the puck to and, and there's not enough help there. So, I mean, you're, you're going to assume that over the next two years, the Regina Pats are going to get a lot better and they're going to get some players in there that can, that can hang with this guy. And I I don't think 150 is out of the, uh, is out of the realm of possibility. Um, okay, next question. What is your most memorable non-hockey celebrity encounter? Oh, okay, that's easy. Uh, when I was in New Zealand on a vacation, uh, we saw a poster for the Ying Yang Twins, uh, who were a uh, hip-hop act. And we were there. Actually, it was sort of a, it was a work trip for my wife, but I was vacationing. And uh, her boss... Uh, she was kept up all night in her hotel by a party next door. And so we came by the next morning and she was like, oh yeah, they're up all night. And so I loudly as a joke said, well, now we'll wake them up. And the door opened and it was the Ying Yang twins. <laughs> that's nice. awesome. Uh, I could say Michael Buble, but that's cheating. He's been in my hockey pool for six years. He's been on, a, on this podcast. So I feel like I, I'll pick a different one. And that's the wrestler Typhoon one half of the natural disasters in the early nineties in a hotel lobby in Toronto. I met Typhoon, Mr. Fuji, who was the manager of Yokozuna at the time and Paul bear undertaker's manager, but Paul bear, like he, he that was when undertaker was the dead man. So they had that whole facade, but Paul bear was in a tracksuit, So he was trying not to be seen. And then the undertaker strolled into the lobby. And that was when he, you know, he wasn't the, the biker undertaker yet. And he just put his hand in my dad's face and said, no pictures. And I was like, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I was, when I was covering the Leafs, I was, I was in Chicago one night for, uh, it was like a Wednesday night. There was, it, the, there was nothing going on. I went out for a dinner, quick dinner by myself and I'm walking out of the restaurant. I walk by and I look and Steve Martin is walking in the other direction. Wow. And, and I, I just like, I froze. I just froze. Like if it would have been now, it would have been like, Oh my God, can I get a picture with you? Can I get a selfie? But it, it wasn't those days. Uh, nobody had cell phones then. And, you know, I, I sort of think about it now and I think about like, yeah, I would have just gone there and made an idiot out of myself anyways. It would have been like, Oh, you're my hero. And then I would have started like quoting all of his stand up, you know, like, uh, Oh, just flew in, you know, it, it flew in, uh, flew into the airport. It's of course it's not easy landing a station wagon out here at the airport. Like I would have been like saying all this stupid stuff and he would have been totally creeped out. So, but that was like, that, that would have been amazing to just talk to him for a couple of minutes. Okay. Who is going to be the most overpaid for player at this trade deadline? Ooh, overpaid for a player. Hmm. Patrick Line. Oh. And he'll be overpaid. Ooh, okay. Yes. I mean, in terms of like what they're giving up to get him. Oh, I know. In terms of salary. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I know. Yeah. 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 Okay. 
Um, I'll say, I'll say Matias Ekholm, just even though he's going to be worth it, it's just going to cost a ton to get him. I'll say Taylor Hall. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't give up anything for him. Now he's got two goals. <laughs> so whatever you give up is going to be an overpayment. Um, and the last question, what? And this should be a good one because I know, well, especially for you, Ryan, or um, Matt, what is your most outrageous non-hockey hot take? Oh, <laughs> that the Beatles are just the Backstreet Boys for boomers. Nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. <clears throat> I got to just crack my knuckles with this one. My hot take is that, and you've heard this before, no item on earth has a lower standard of excellence than electric hand dryers. <laughs> People tolerate the fact that they just leave their hands kind of damp and it's accepted. There's not one company in the world that can make a hand dryer that actually dries your hands. If other other products and items were held to the same standard, the whole world wouldn't work. If cars were held to the same standard as electric hand dryers, like, yeah, it starts, you know, kind of starts half the time. Yeah, it, it, the brakes don't work, but it's decent, you know, that's just the way it is. So up your game, electric hand dryers. You don't work. Every time I try to use you, I just have to dry my hands on my pants anyways. You're terrible. <laughs> that's my hot take. Like with electric hand dryers, it bugs me that I go to the washroom, I come, I wash my hands. I go into the electric hand dryer. It's all warm, warm air. And by the time I'm finished, I got to go to the bathroom again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because it takes that long. Yeah, no, it's because all that warm air. But anyways, my hot take is all craft beer is terrible. It all sucks. Uh, every one of them that I've ever tried tastes like armpit sweat. And uh, just give me a Bud Light anytime. I'll take that. Craft beer blows. Anyways, that's it. All right. Thank you, Kenny. I like the craft beer take overall. I think people don't want to admit that they don't exactly. love it. It makes me feel terrible every time I, I drink it. So I'm off craft beer as well. Thank you for all the questions, everyone. Sorry we couldn't get to every single question, but we came close and I will fulfill the promise to answer the, the other ones next week. Thank you for watching and listening. We'll be back. Thank you for listening to the Hockey News Podcast. Make sure to check out THN.com slash subscribe to get issues of the Hockey News Magazine delivered right to your mailbox.